Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Rachel Nadel. What's going on, Rachel? Not much, Chris. Super excited to talk all about gifts. I love gifts. What are you giving me? <laughs> oh, you're so funny with the dad jokes. Um, first of all, I feel like you and I just like on a personal level love sending gifts to each other. <laughs> it's just like part of our like normal interactions. We're just like sending really funny gifts. Um, so I feel like this episode is especially important to us because we're such big gift sharers. Don't you think that gifts, like when we send gifts back and forth to each other, is like a form of AAC? Like when we're not using verbal uh, speech, uh, we're, we're just using images to convey our messages and our feelings and our thoughts, right? And so um, I always think of it like like this, it's like AAC. I love it. And it's also really, if you think about it, you know, broader level too, with the students that we work with, it's also like you have to have some like perspective taking to figure out like what GIF makes sense paired with, you know, some a text or something like that. So it's definitely an idea that you can use to work with older students, um, you know, oh, you're trying to tell him, you know, you're excited for the party. What gift do you think we could send that would communicate that? Or like, oh, I think he might be annoyed right now uh, because his car, you know, needs to be fixed again. What gift do you think you could send in this situation? You know, so I feel like it's it's really good for something um, functional. And, you know, we just we all are communicating with gifts with our friends and through texting. So it feels like a really functional therapy idea. So I think something that happens sometimes with students when they're writing, uh, they let's say they're they're like any student might be is like typing something and all of a sudden they get the little red squiggly underneath and they go, oh, that's I spelled it wrong. So they right click and spell check comes up and they choose the first word that's in spell check. And that's something you can't do when you're looking for pictures, like when you're looking for the GIF and you're sending a text message, you don't want to just pick the first thing. Maybe, maybe you do, but there's some sort of selection process that uh, goes through like what is the perfect image that explains what will either make the other person laugh or convey how I'm feeling sometimes it's the first one but sometimes you gotta like do a little bit of um looking to find out and there's a process that I know my brain goes through to try and figure out what is the right choice you know what's going to be the perfect thing to send yeah I mean I I think you're exactly right. And it's an interesting process to go through. Like we, we do it naturally, you know, we're just like surfing, like, hmm, let me see, this one looks perfect. Um, but I'm, I'm always trying to find the perfect gift. I'm like, no, like I'm gonna keep searching and see if there's one that's a little bit better, a little bit closer to what I'm trying to convey or a little bit funnier. Um, I also think it's like a way to express humor. And I think that these are all skills that we can help our students work on. Do you have any just, uh, now this may be as a side note, but I don't know, do you have any like go-to gifts that are sort of like gestalts, you know, like that we use all the time, for instance, like you know, ones that just, uh, that, that jump out at you like, yeah, Chris, as a matter of fact, there's one that I just kind of use all the time. Um, that's a great question. Uh, I, there's a few, I feel like there's one with like Oprah holding her hands out. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> for sure. Of course. I and you get one. a, and you get a, and yeah, you get yeah, a, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Um, so that one I use a lot. There's also, have you seen the Elmo one where everything's on fire? Like everything's on fire. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like that one too. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other ones. Our, our family does, um, 
our family has one. It's the uh, old lady from Titanic, and underneath it says, it's been 84 years, like whenever we're waiting. Uh, Melissa's picking up food. When's it coming? It's been 84 years. Uh, Tucker, are you coming down for dinner? It's 80, been 84 years. Have you taken the garbage out? It's been 84 years. Like what, anytime there's some sort of waiting or longing, it's been 84 years. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's a good one. I'm going to put that in my, my Rolodex of gifts because <laughs> I feel like that's a, a really poignant one. Um, yeah, it's like a really fun thing to do. And it also like, you know, I, I oftentimes will add them when I'm doing Instagram stories, for example. I'm like always trying to think like, how can I add like a really fun gift to this situation? And again, it's all stuff we can incorporate with the work that we do as students. Like, let's make it functional and fun. And gifts make it definitely make it fun. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly a 21st century skill uh, to know how to communicate this way and to know how to communicate effectively this way, right? Uh, it certainly falls under the realm of communication, right? Um, it's just a new way to communicate. Yeah, you know, another thing I think it can be really powerful uh, is when you're working with students on literacy. Um, so a lot of times I'll incorporate gifts into the literacy work that I'm doing instead of finding a static image, um, <clears throat> which is fine. But I I like the animation of gifts, and I think that especially for our students who are just emerging with you know literacy skills and even language skills, um, being able to work on verbs in that way I think is really fun and motivating. And I you know I'm constantly helping my kids, you know, pick whatever gift they want for like an independent writing exercise and then build it, like make me a sentence, you know, whether that's typing or writing, whatever that looks like for that particular student. Um, but I think it's a great way to work on literacy. Chris, we always get people who are saying, um, oh, they're not motivated by anything. Or like, oh, like I can't get them to engage with anything. And so for those students who you feel like are really hard to engage, um, the first question I ask any any family that I start working with is like, what is your student motivated to do on their own? Like, what are they doing when no one's telling them what to do? Um, that's the first question I ask. And it's typically like, oh, well, they love Paw Patrol or they love this specific YouTube video or they love letters or, you know, fill in the blank. Nine times out of 10, I can go to Giphy.com, which is where I tend to get my gifts from. Um, and I search whatever it is the student's interested in and collect a handful of gifts um, to then pull up and see if I can elicit some type of language and communication. Um, kids are really motivated by this. And also, you know, you can find so many gifts. Like I just before this, we started recording, Chris, I was on a session. This student is obsessed with Peppa Pig. And we've been doing Peppa Pig gifts, I feel like, for almost a year, like, which sounds kind of crazy, but they, it feels like they're never ending. It also feels like there's so many different targets. At first, we were working on verbs because the student was working on verbs. Now we're working on pronouns and we're working on, you know, he, she and they. And it's just like there's so many things to do. And every time I pull them up, he gets so excited. Um, and I even ask him, I'm like, do you want to do something different? And he's like, no, <laughs> like he wants Peppa Pig gifts. And like, sometimes I'll like throw in like a, a real photograph, like of a pig, like it'll be a gift, but it'll be a photograph of a pig, not Peppa. And like no dice. He's like, he looks at me like, are you crazy? <laughs> and I'm like, listen, man, I'm just trying to expand your horizons, <laughs> but he just loves Peppa Pig gifts. 
Um, so it's just like, why not use what he's really motivated by? And he is doing amazing. He used, it, it started off a year ago. He was just saying, you know, the single verb, um, which was progress because he would just typically say Peppa. <laughs> he would start by saying Peppa and that he would start and end by saying Peppa. And then it was like, he, we, we transitioned to some verbs and he got really good with the verbs, but then he was omitting the subject. So like, I was working on, you know, Peppa is eating, Peppa is swimming, Peppa is jumping. And he's, he's now finally doing that. And now we're transitioning to the pronoun. She is jumping. And now we have George too. So he is doing things and they're together. They are. So it's just like so interesting how this has transpired. And it's not just this student. You know, I do gifts with a lot of students that I work with because they're so motivating and so interesting and usually so novel too, um, that it just makes it like a perfect therapy idea. Something that you said there that I think is especially wise is that you curated them. So you didn't go to Giphy.com with the student and then do a search. You went and you found some that you knew were appropriate, put them in a place like I'm guessing like a Google Drive or something or put them in Google Slides or something like that. And then um, and then showed them to the student because yeah, I know from 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 experience that Giphy.com might have stuff that it'd be questionable to show to a student. Is that fair? Yes, absolutely. Happy you brought that up. Giphy.com is sometimes inappropriate. So you definitely don't want to be searching on there in real time with a student. Um, when I'm seeing kids virtually, I'll pause my share. So like I'll pause the screen share, I use Zoom, and that's a way that I can like search quickly, scroll, make it big, and then reshare my screen. Um, but yeah, you're definitely going to, want to, going to want to curate this. Um, the other thing is I started this massive shared iPhoto album with my entire team. And whenever we find good GIFs, we'll just upload it to the shared iPhoto album. So I have a whole like iPhoto album that I can also pull up. Um, we also have a resource on my shop. Um, it's We have two different resources, which are huge Google slide decks um, with those GIFs. And I have to tell you it's one behind a little behind the scenes Chris it's one of the most frustrating resources I've ever created because the gifts don't always animate and there's no way to know when a gif is going to add animate or not and it's like for if we have a hundred gifts in those resources we probably had to go through like 400 gifts to get there um, so this is a shout out to my team who is so amazing and helps me put together these resources I just felt so bad because they were like, and that one doesn't animate, and that one doesn't animate. <laughs> so anyway, that is one caveat. Sometimes they don't animate, which just means they're like this kind of low-grade quality static image, which you definitely aren't going to want to use. Um, you want them to animate. That's the whole point. But um, yeah, that resource is already available on my store, and I, I use it all the time, honestly, um, just because gifts are so motivating. So uh, where on your store? What's it called? It's, it's just you can search if you go to rachelmadel.com backslash shop. Um, you'll see it's like gifts with commenting gifts. There's an emoji one where you can like have a reaction to the gif. I use them all the time. And so I was like, I'm always thinking about when I create resources, like what do I want? <laughs> what do I want to use in my therapy? And then that's kind of how my resources are born. Um, so I use all the resources that we make because it started off as an idea for one of my clients or a few of my clients and um, yeah, I was just like, well, we might as well create a resource out of this so more people can benefit, which is really great. So yeah, go to rachelmadel.com backslash shop and you'll see the GIF resources. So one of the reasons we're talking about GIFs today is because the 
interview that's coming up is with Dr. Chris Brock, who uh, talks about, or you'll, you'll hear in the interview, us talk a little bit about GIFs, but mostly about animated symbols and some of the research that he's done around animated symbols and using pictures in general. And then, you know, he and I got into it, and it was so uh, in-depth that we ended up deciding to have to cut this one into two as well. I know we've had a lot of two-part episodes recently, but there's just a lot of good stuff. We can't fit it all into one episode. So without further ado, here's my interview with Dr. Chris Brock. Are you enjoying this episode? We would love for you to take a few minutes to hit the subscribe button so you always know when we release new content. Even better, if you leave us a review on iTunes, then more people will find this podcast and learn about AAC. We also love reading your reviews on air. Thank you so much for your support. We love this community. Now we can head back into the episode. Welcome to the Talking With Tech podcast. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Dr. Chris Brock. Chris, am I saying that right? Do I have, am I saying your, your last name right? Yes, you are, sir. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for being here. So real quick history here is that you are a um, professor that works with Michaela and Michaela is our audio engineer that hooked us up. And she was saying you're doing some really interesting uh, research in the area of AEC. So I was like, well, yeah, let's talk about it. So so that's my understanding, but we've not met before. So uh, tell tell me and the audience that's listening who you are and what you do. So my name is uh, Dr. Chris Brock. I'm an assistant professor at Idaho State University. Um, I'm on the Meridian campus, and I'm also the president-elect of ISHA. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Okay, excellent. Idaho is like one of my favorite places to go. I've been uh, all over, driven all over Idaho. Um, I didn't realize for some reason I was thinking you were probably in Utah, but I guess that's because that's where Michaela lives. But okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how did you first get interested in AAC? Well, it's kind of a... A happy and, and sad story kind of all wrapped up into one. I've been volunteering, you know, in speech therapy clinics, like primarily Scottish Rite when I was in California since in high school. Okay. And so I've known for a very young age that that's kind of where I wanted to go. And so during my master's training, I got the opportunity to um, work in a school for the severe to profound um, individual population. So a lot of kids with a lot of lot of mixed disabilities and syndromes that, you know, frankly, people have never heard of. So it's a really good experience and challenging in that, you know, I had a lot of kids with complex communication needs on the caseload. Um, and so I show up and, and they didn't have a speech therapist there for the, for the year um, for, for whatever reason, right? A lot of turnover, obviously. And the vice principal had just moved up and she was a, a speech therapist. Um, and so she was supervising me and you know, I was reading through some of these notes and, and a lot of these kids, and they were supposed to be seen once or two times a week for, you know, 30 minutes is the most frequent in the school setting. And then I kept going back and I'm like, okay, well, where are these notes? Where are the, where's the data on these goals? And there, there was none, absolutely nothing. And I was shocked, you know, and it come to learn that, you know, the previous therapist was saying, oh, well, the, the special education teachers better equipped to handle some of those AAC needs um, when compared to me. So, you know, I'll, I'll pop in once at the beginning of the, of the year and then once at the, at the end of the year, you know, and that's, again, this is secondhand information from the, from the special education teacher. And I'm like, gosh, I can't do that. 
I absolutely cannot do that to these kids. Like they, they're depending on me to for, for just the, the simplest of communicative functions from requesting, right? And obviously I'm on a, I have a soapbox about requesting, but you know, it's like, I have to do more for these kids and give them more diverse kind of language. And so that was kind of my goal. And we were using AAC um, in the classrooms during the teachers, you know, um, you know, lesson plans. And that's just kind of what, what got me into it. I, I think I created a, a, a lunch book and I actually took all of these kids and we cooked lunch, you know, for, for the entire class. Now it was the saltiest chicken ever tasted in my life, <laughs> but they mixed all the ingredients, put all the chicken together, supervised with an electric grill and, and we cooked and it was just fun. And we had that, that communication book there along with their core boards, like ready to go. And so it kind of got me wondering, like, well, why, why do people fear AAC? Like, what's the fear? It's it's language intervention with some pictures. Mm-hmm. And that's always how I've approached it. So something interesting that struck me there in that story that you were telling is that you did say you use core boards. And I'm curious there because um, I think a lot of people start, maybe not today, but I know like when I first started, core vocabulary was sort of a new concept. Um, It was a lot of noun-based stuff, you know, uh, boards. And so, but you had heard about core vocabulary and and were attempting to implement it. Right. Yeah. So this was, oh gosh, well, 2007, 2008, right in there. Um, and so we had core vocabulary because obviously there's there's benefits to it. But it, again, those are high frequency words and high frequency words don't really portray um, or don't lend themselves well to a graphic symbol interpretation, right? So like right. the symbol go, like, oh, well, you have to directly teach that. Well, the nice thing is like I took a, a note out of uh, Dr. Kathy Binger's book and I was like, well, I can't just have core because technically those are abstract. They are frequently occurring. I get the benefits, but I need to teach core through fringe. And so, you know, what do these kids want to do? Well, they wanted to, they wanted to cook, and that was like everyday language in their in their classroom. So we use we use some of that fringe um, pieces that the teachers are trying to to incorporate, and then I'm pairing it with the core vocabulary, which is something I think that gets lost. Um, you know, when I speak with clinicians or I'm speaking with students and they're saying like, oh, I, I just got to use core, 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 core. And I'm like, well, fringe motivates the use of core. Right? If, if it's not motivating, you're, you're dead in the water right? in, in terms of success. Yeah, I, so I couldn't agree more. That's exactly what we talk about on the podcast all the time. Rachel says the same thing uh, with the other podcast host. And it's um, what we talk about is this go- the golden rule of like 80-20, right? So if if um, if typical speech is 80% core words and 20% fringe, then maybe that is sort of uh, uh, something we could use as a, as a way to as as a as a marker or a milestone for how we how we do the intervention right and so um right and so um and like you said the fringe vocabulary is often much more motivating so we'll talk about this concept of key vocabulary so pick vocabulary words that are really key or really important right. to the person mm-hmm. rachel calls it personal core right uh it's not really core vocabulary but it's it's a personal fringe word that's important to me you know i i, I noticed back there at the the analogy i always use um is uh your family pet your dog right yeah i saw you had two dogs back there behind you and it's like so that would be a fr- fringe vocabulary word your dog's name that you might be really important to um to practice and teach but you can't just teach that fringe vocabulary you got to teach all the core that surrounds it like right like come and eat and, and go and stop and play and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. 
All right, cool. So when um, uh, so that's how you sort of got interested, and now you're a university professor that teaches this stuff in, at the university level. Is that accurate? Yeah. So I I'm actually getting ready to to teach the AAC course in the spring here. So I got a couple little tricks up my sleeve for the students. I need to revamp some of the the course work a little bit and. I'm really excited that we actually have that course and it's a dedicated AAC course. Yeah, I think that's something that has grown over the years, but mm -hmm. uh, we're still struggling as a, as a country, as a world, to have AAC built into, into pre-graduate uh, study programs. So it's awesome to hear that you're doing that. Now, something else you touched on was that concept of iconicity, right? Like that certain words, like core vocabulary words, are often harder to depict uh, pictorially than a fringe vocabulary word. Um, so dog is a little easier to do than, say, the word work right uh, how do you draw work right um and that seems to be something you're interested in am i am i if, if, if i understand what michaela was hooking us up to talk about this is it right is that you have done some work in the area of of uh, iconicity yeah so iconicity for for listeners that you know maybe need a, a refresher maybe they don't but iconicity is a spectrum right i i understand it you as the slp you don't have to teach it it's just right there. And then on the opposite end, you have opaque uh, words. And so you think of an opaque word as like think, right? It's very abstract. You have to really spend some time teaching that symbol referent relationship. And so what I'm saying is, well, teaching takes time, a lot of time, especially with, with the populations that, that we're serving. How can we make it simpler so that you as the clinician don't have to spend time teaching semantics? Because that's that's probably my second soapbox is there's everybody has a semantic goal. But what does that really what are you teaching with with semantics? And, and oftentimes with people with high caseloads, we're saying like, okay, well, you know, they have the SLPA out there and the SLP is teaching the goal and they're saying, okay, find, find work, find go, and they're navigating that way. I'm like that, well, that's not really intervention necessarily, and it's not it's too too heavy on where are things are placed. Yeah. And, and not so, how you use them. Right. And so it's like, well, how do you use, you know, think and go and play in, in, in the appropriate context? And so what, you know, I've been working on since my, my PhD at Texas Tech with uh, Dr. Raj Cole is uh, animated graphic symbols. And so we've been looking at uh, verbs and prepositions and how can we make those more iconic so that the symbol reference relationship means it's, it's so apparent that no one has to teach it. Because right? if I don't have to teach semantics, that means I get to spend more time teaching syntax, use, right? So syntax and, and social competence, which is really just the key to, to, to a lot of these kids. I like get them to use these symbols in a functional, meaningful way. And once you got that, I mean, the rest, I, I would argue, would come much easier. All right, so let's let's dig into this and this concept of animated symbols because this is something that um, I've been thinking about for over twenty years too. I mean, when I first started as a speech language pathologist, um, the big thing, uh, big message we had in our school district was symbols. Right, we are going to wear lanyards, we're going to put symbols around our neck, we're going to teach people what these symbols mean. Um, and I had this idea again twenty years ago. This was going to be my million dollar idea, right? I'm going to go to Super Duper or some company, and I'm going to make lenticular cards. 
cards. So that word lenticular is like, if you picture the little cards that have the ridges on them and you can, mm-hmm. you can flip for, or for people who's, who are listening, like, and you can move that card back and forth and it, it shows this moving image. So in and out, right. Is you mm-hmm. in and out and you could wiggle the card and you, you'd change from in to out to in to out and you'd see it move. Uh, I never actually, you know, went forth and, and made those cards is is that what you're talking about? Like animating something like that? Or are you thinking, well, yeah, Chris, that was 20 years ago. Now I'm thinking digital, you know, uh, animated, like animated GIFs sort of thing. So where is your, where, what are you thinking when you say animated symbols? Yeah. So I'm, I'm meeting an animated graphic cartoon line drawing. Uh, and so we're, we're more in the digital realm now because of the computer processing capabilities, right? It's, it's easy to upload these things to the systems and not overload the entire system. So we've got, We've developed, um, well, I shouldn't say we, I wasn't part of that, but my colleagues at Boston um, Children's Hospital have developed the Autism Language Program symbol set. And okay. another commercially available animated graphic symbol set would be picture communication symbols. I think they're like four or $500 for the set. So there's two sets that we use most often. Now, I guess within the umbrella, and I don't think AAC has really gotten into classifying animated symbols you know, in much detail. So we're just going to kind of, you know, like the GIFs and and video shots, um, YouTube, technically there's animation on YouTube, right? But we're only going to be talking about the the graphic line drawings themselves. And so that's where, you know, we have started to look into, okay, we know verbs aren't used as frequently, you know, by, by children with complex communication needs. We know that research is focused on nouns heavily for the last three or four decades. Um, Why? Well, probably one, because verbs, you have to have that that movement, right? Like you, with your cards, right? You're showing that movement of in and out. And that's exactly what our verb and preposition symbols are doing, right? We will open the door. Our little character will walk into the house, right? And that's in. Same thing, out. He's just in reverse. And what's really nice about it is, you know, animation has four kind of main purposes. And the one that we're, well, there's a couple that we're trying to really hone in on is one, we want to attract the the kid's attention or the adult in the case of persons with aphasia, right? And we want to really convey information about a process from beginning to end. And then, you know, the third one is uh, portray completion of a procedure. So for example, if we're going to teach how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, we're going to use video modeling. And that's another form of Right, animation, I would argue, right, because you're showing that that movement um, over time, and it's really important that verbs get that movement because, well, one, what would you do if you didn't have that symbol movement? Well, you'd probably get up and, and start doing it yourself, right? You'd jump or you'd run or you'd open and close the door. So you now we're just going to say, well, anim- if animation is going to work, let's make it a tool. And what really is beneficial is if we can get AAC companies to say, okay. I need to be able to flip on and off that animation. The child, the communicator, needs to be able to do that to self-cue if they need it. That sounds awesome. So years ago, I think Toby Dynavox had something like this. I mean, I remember seeing uh, a mock-up. I've never actually seen it in use, but I remember seeing a mock-up of a, a core vocabulary screen with um, the verbs that were animated. Well, actually, all the all the core vocabulary, so it wasn't specific to verbs, but like you said, the uh, prepositions. And 
it, uh, if I, again, I, I don't speak for Toby Dynavox. This is what I remember our rep said years and years and years ago when they were showing us is that it looked visually overwhelming because um, first you have just, just if you have a large grid size, that can look overwhelming. We mm-hmm. now know that, it, you know, we're going to teach it anyway, right? Um, yep. But then if things are starting to move all over the place in these little cells, it's now even like, whoa, what am I looking at here? There's all these sorts of things. So what I'm hearing you advocate for is the idea of being able to turn it on or off um per cell is that sound fair is that what you're saying right yeah that's a that's a critique that i just recently got from the uh from the asha convention committee on aac they're like well that would be so overwhelming if they were all animated i'm like yeah you're right we probably overload working memory and they wouldn't be able to use it and they would abandon it so we have to think of animation strictly as a tool at this point until research proves us otherwise or, or confirms what we suspect So using animation as a tool, and if the child can't or the adult can't turn it on, well, you, the clinician, can turn it on, and you can cycle through verbs and prepositions. So the the one thing that I hear a lot of clinicians doing is like, oh, we have a a core word of the week. And I'm like, well, why not like 10 core words of the week so that we can combine those words with other words? So that's the kind of the approach that I'm I'm, I'm advocating for in a lot of our, our publications. We're saying, you pick 10 right? Or five or 10, whatever you think your child can handle. You turn them on and you, and you cycle through each week, every couple of weeks, you cycle through and you turn off animations uh, and then turn them on, you know, depending on how they, how they do, whether they've reached mastery or maybe they still need the, the assistance of the animation tool. And then you just move on and you pick five more verbs and prepositions to animate. So let me ask you this a clarifying question there. So there's one dynamic where they're on the actual screen of the uh, of the AAC tool. But then I also heard you sort of talk about teaching those. So am I understanding correctly? Like, let's say there was a static symbol in a in a video and the static symbols like in the top right hand corner of the video. And now we're going to teach the the what that static symbol means by showing you animated graphics is is that similar or like we're going to teach it or not really you're talking about no i want to yes i want to teach it but i want to teach the animated symbol i'm going to teach the animated symbol first because i think in terms of working memory resources and all the benefits that we know about animation that the animation itself will teach the the verb or preposition for you a lot of the times is what we're kind of seeing so fujisawa in 2000 fujisawa at all in 2011 did a study where you know they split kids up they had intellectual impairment and they said okay this group's all going to get only static so they were shown a static verb and they got it wrong they got another chance so they were shown the static verb again and in the experimental condition shown the static and when they got it wrong they were shown the animated and what ends up happening is the animation, like, oh yeah, that's that's jump. I know that, right? So it's it's that motion perception system. We're attracting the the attention of the learner to a very specific movement. We show the entire procedure being completed, and then, then it just clicks. Like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So. So often when you come, I heard the exact same thing and we we talk about the same thing as we started off with um, when we were first introducing core vocabulary to teachers, pick a core word of the week. We'll start there because it's new to you. And then now why does it need to be one? And in fact, does it need to be core word or is it core word plus the morphemes that go with it? You know, I-N-G and right. So, so we're going to expand, right? 
But one of the things we also told them is, you know, it doesn't make sense in often cases to teach one core word because there's a second core word that often is a natural pair. If I'm going to teach right. up, I might as well teach down, right? Mm -hmm. um, and when it comes to animated symbols, how do you wrestle with that? Meaning uh, if, that in and out example, right? It's if we, in a traditional AAC system, you have two spots you have an in bu in button and an out button right but in this it would be transitioning from in to out in to out it would be one hit one cell does that make sense or like stop go would be the same thing you wouldn't need two places you only need one and then how would you know which word you're actually trying to say right so that's some some very interesting problems that we've kind of encountered uh, in our most recent study uh, that we're we're hopefully going to submit to JSLHR here at the end of the year and we did a study on receptive syntax. And so we, we put together subject, verb, object, prepositional phrase, symbol sequences. And we asked children to um, identify a corresponding photograph that matched the symbol sequence. And then we had them actually label the symbol sequence. We're like, okay, this is a secret code. Tell us what it says. And again, these are all children with typical development, right? Because proof of concept is, is needed before we even move into uh, kids with complex communication needs. And what we're finding is those symbols that you're describing, the in, the out, the open, the close, when they loop, it's a problem. Because as you're reading the symbol sequence, by the time you get to the dog jumps, you know, um, in, into the house. Well, in is very specific. So it opens the door and the kid walks in. But then when it loops, the door opens and the kid is back out. So it looks like out. Mm -hmm. And then you get the same problem with um, open and close. And so those, those pairs are, are an issue. And, and one thing that we're, we're noticing is, well, you have to kind of control them a little bit more. I think you could teach them separately. Um, you can certainly turn on one animation for, for in. So we see in, but then the other kid is out of the house. And then you can teach it, teach it that way. Right. So I don't know if there's a, a definitive evidence-based answer on how to teach those those kind of pairs because it is difficult and animation i think is being investigated since 2008 so it's it's still relatively young yeah absolutely i mean this sounds like the research that you're doing to try and figure yeah. this out right uh not that uh hey we figured it out and this is what you do <laughs> Right, so it's, it's still fledgling and it's still new. All right, cool, cool. Um, so when it, so tell me more about this research. So what have you found by um, by trying to implement that, or I guess uh, re researching it? Yeah. So when we're looking at the the data, um, animation is hands down the the best, right? In terms of being able to identify the corresponding photograph um, with your symbol sequence, and then also in terms of labeling, right? Correctly labeling the sequence. So we, we coded it as, you know, you either labeled all five or you didn't, right? So it's a zero or one. And then we took the overall percentage of like, okay, how many symbols out of five did you name or label correctly? Right. Gotcha. And let me, let me, let me just make sure I understand that for a second. So let's say I'm a, I'm a, I'm a child in your study, right? You have shown me five uh, words, and I'm mm -hmm. trying to guess what they are from a static image. And then you show me f five words, and you've given me animation. I get to guess, and I'm all I'm almost always going to be more accurate with the animation than the static. I'm wondering if I have share screen share capabilities. 
Sure. It's an audio podcast. So people it's all won't... completely audio. Well, it'll, it'll help me. I'm very visual myself here. And so in the identification task, right, we have what we have up on the screen here is a graphic symbol sequence, right? So it's, it's Woody pulls the wagon over the rock. Now, obviously, this is the static condition, but uh, if it was animated, uh, we would see that our little character here, the verb pull, he would literally pull this all the way across the screen. Gotcha. So, so he's pulling a, a giant rock attached to a rope. There are five symbols. The first one is Woody from Toy Story. The second mm -hmm. one is a nondescript, um, so not a character from any sort of uh, anything, any recognizable character with a rope pulling a large uh, gray boulder type thing. Mm -hmm. the, the third is a wagon, like a static image of a little red wagon. The fourth is that same character on top of the boulder. And then the last one looks like um, either a lesson picks or a board maker sort of symbol of a, of a boulder. It's not the same boulder we've seen before. Is that right. fair? Yeah. And so in this one, I think you made a common mistake that a lot of our kids make in terms of the preposition, because he's not technically on top of the of this uh, he's rock. Over he's, it. he's over it. Right. So it's these are the things that static graphic symbols really have a hard time differentiating because what ends up happening here, our character and he's called Ace. And this is the autism language program symbol set from Boston Children's Hospital. He's over here to the left of this kind of um, little rock. And then what ends up happening is he floats over it and we end up seeing the completion of a process. So he's never really on or he never really hovers there. So in this static version, technically he's not touching, right? So it's supposed to be over. That's, and that's what we think animation can, can do for a lot of kids because I want you to focus on the verb and the preposition because what happens when we do that? Well, we know that the verb is the heart of a sentence literally every other word maps onto a verb. So let's say, for example, the verb, you know, give. Um, mom gives presents to the child. What ends up happening is the verb give activates a series of nouns that will give you something, right? Santa gives, mom, dad, right? Grandma, grandpa, all of those nouns get activated. Well, what, what, what is being given? More nouns, wagon presence, food. And a then, cold. Yeah, a cold. And so what we end up seeing is, well, if we can tap into this, this neural network and get all of those, those activations going, right, we can teach a series of, of, of nouns by only focusing on the verbs, right? So I like to tell my students, if you target the verbs, you get a lot of nouns for free just because of the context. Yeah. So stop teaching nouns and wasting your time. Teach more verbs and then eventually, you know, you're going to you're going to have to teach certain nouns and things because, I mean, obviously, English language is, is complex and you can't there's no way around it. But do I really want to teach wagon? Right. No, I don't want to teach that. I don't want to teach something more meaningful, impactful. Like polls. Mm -hmm. All right. And so this is what I'm looking at here is uh, one of one. So then am I am I understanding the next thing you might show is four more of these uh, where there's a sequence of five images and I'm supposed to sort of guess what the phrase might be with each one. And then you do it again with animated. Yes. So uh, we have the animated static conditions and we have four photographs of Woody doing something with a wagon. And obviously there's only one correct um, photograph that kids need to point to. Um, and so overall, what we found with these, with these kids that were, were studied, you know, 20 to 30% increase in 
successful identification when the verb and the preposition were animated. Gotcha. So you're not actually animating all the symbols, right? It's not like the the wheels on the wagon are rotating because that's the noun. You're only animating the verbs. Right. Yeah. We don't have to animate anything else because again, if we kind of hold to this philosophy of, well, if I if I can focus and teach the verbs, the other stuff comes for free, right? We can see like, oh, okay. I see who's pulling. Woody's doing the pulling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense to me. The What did the, do you have it? Do you, I would be very curious to see what the animations look like. I mean, how did, uh, uh, is it just the, the same, is it Ace pulling the rock and his legs are moving, you know? Is it um, him leaping up over the, the, the rock or is it like a, a series of three static, well, I guess, um, I guess that's what animation is, right? It's like a little flip book, you know? It's a bunch of static images. Yeah strung together. So is that how you sort of animated it? So that would be a really good question because I was not privy to that that uh, implementation creation. That was uh, Dr. Howard Shane and, and Dr. Ralph Schlosser um, out in Boston. And so I based from what I have heard from them is that they had five kind of static images that they, they combined. Um, and I think that's that's how they they did it. So gotcha. That's, that's all how they I made the gif. Gotcha. Again, like a little flipbook. If it was if we were doing this in a non digital way, it'd be like look at these images that I'm going to flip together, and you're going to see the it's going to animate the ace pulling the rock. Right. Cool. Okay. But so we see uh, what I'm hearing you say is that when we show students this, the animation, the the ability to understand what the phrase is, goes up. Right. Significantly. It's, you know, 20, 30% difference. And in terms of labeling, so we had our, our second task was a labeling task where we asked these kids to, okay, this is a, we have a secret code for you and I need you to decipher uh, said secret code. And we only showed them, you know, again, okay. animated or static verb prepositions. And then we had um, these five symbol sequences. So what we have, for example, would be Bo Peep eats the apple on the chair. And we would ask kids like, okay, what does this sentence mean? And what we found was, again, significant differences in terms of being able to correctly label these these symbols within the sequence. I know. I wish you hadn't told me. I want to. I wanted to guess it. (laughs) I know. I can see the text down there at the bottom, but give me another one, and I'll hide the text. I want to see. There we go. Let's let's do this one. I'm I'm covering up the text at the bottom. So again, this is a visual thing. Let me describe it for the uh, for for the people listening. So the first one is clearly Buzz Lightyear. It's a picture of Buzz Lightyear. The second one is Ace pushing that rock this time. The third one is looks like a bicycle. And then the fourth one is a standing in the door of um, of that same, maybe a larger version of that boulder, but it's almost like that boulder has a, a door in it and he's standing inside it. And then the last one, it's uh, a drawing of a house. So um, Buzz pushes the bike uh, inside the house. How'd I do? Got it. Nailed it. <laughs> All right. It's a fun it's game. A, I want to do these riddles. I like this. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot of fun, and the kids that were doing it, you know, were were really into it because again, it's like, oh, it's a secret code. I got to figure out what's going on, and so it really kind of helped us. But you know, you brought up this this kind of gray boulder looking thing, and obviously it changes shape, right? And so we call it the the amorphous blob, and basically, <laughs> it's supposed to depict very generally 
you know, uh, the concept or the context of the verb or the preposition. So in the case of the verb pull it, or, or push, um, this amorphous blob turns into a rather large boulder and we're pushing it across the screen. Or in the case of the, the preposition in, um, the, the, the blob gets a little bit bigger, looks kind of like a house, and you could see our character Ace inside the house. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. And then, so, but I, I, if I'm hearing you correctly, if these were animated, I'd even have a better chance at getting it right. I mean, I got this one right because I was able to suss it out. But um, there might be ones that's a little bit more difficult or a little bit uh, for students might not might not get it as accurately as I, get, I did on that last one. Is that fair? That is that is very fair, more than fair. <laughs> and then we animate it and then we say, oh, well, that now clearly it's going out or in or something. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Here you got another one. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I'm seeing the animated. So this is Buzz, and he's clearly pushing the rock. And now there's the bike. And now he's moving out of the. So he's pushing the bike out of the house. Is that right? And before I would not necessarily have known that he was coming out. He would be standing by this boulder, right? Uh, meaning the fourth image is clearly Ace moving from inside the boulder outside the boulder yeah if it was a static image i would have i would not know what that word is i would have been guessing by near beside something like that so my sentence could have right. been um buzz pushes the bike by the house buzz pushes the bike near the house but by by animating that symbol i nail it it's it's uh i mean i i shouldn't say nail it there's still some ambiguity there there's still some right. ambiguity there because it could be like buzz pushes the bike uh, outside the house because um, it's leaving uh, or exiting the house, you know, it's some, something like that. Right. All right. Cool. Cool. So this is one study you did one. Then what else have you, cause it sounded like you did another study. Yeah. So we, uh, well, in 2019 is a couple years ago. We, we looked at the identification accuracy um, of graphic symbols um, both in animated and static formats in kids with diagnosed with autism. And so what we ended up doing was we put four um, autism language program symbols in a PowerPoint. Um, we had the animated condition in which all four verbs were, were animated and looping. And then we asked them, okay, find, find jump, find pull, find push. Um, and what we end up seeing was that these these kids with autism um, who had like less than 50 um, intelligible words, uh, according to the caregivers, that, that they were identifying animated verbs, you know, with with 25 percent uh, greater accuracy. And again, we're not teaching them anything. We we confirm that, you know, through the parents and through our own testing that these kids had knowledge of these verbs. Right. But. To have a 25% increase in one condition over another and for the clinician or the experimenter us to do nothing, mm -hmm. right, is absolutely incredible. That's really encouraging from this, you know, overworked, too many kids on my caseload. What do I do? How do I teach these complex word classes? I don't have time to prep. I'm like, well, here it is. Here's mm -hmm. one little tiny aspect of your job. If I can make your job easier, right, I'm happy. And if you're doing, you know, the, and you're teaching verbs, because right, we know that's the heart of the sentence. I'm, I'm so grateful that you're doing that. So this sounds exactly like an implementation strategy. Rachel and I talk about in some of our presentations that we do that we've talked about before. So there's a website called Giphy and there's lots of different ones, but Giphy seems to be the most popular where mm -hmm. you can go into Giphy and you can pull up animated GIFs. And so the strategy we talk about is 
type in a core vocabulary word or whatever words you're targeting you want to teach, put it in there and you're going to see animations that go along with what that word is, you know? Um, and then you can pull those out and you can put them in a, in a safe spot so that you're not just uh, searching Giphy because there's some stuff in there that would probably not be uh, uh, appropriate for students to see in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but pull them out and put them into PowerPoint, Google Slides, something like that. So you had to exactly what you just talked about. Um, and you're, so you're, you're learning like of the word term here's all these different ways of looking at what turn is and you're seeing these animated gifs of the word turn is that is sort of what you're getting at but what i'm hearing the slightly different is you're talking about animated symbols of what turn is not just sort of random gifs on the internet right yeah so more more specificity in terms of this is the the graphic symbol that we're going we're going to use now i don't know if there's any research out there suggesting that the symbols like what we're using the graphic symbols versus versus a gif is better Right. I will say this though, because I do remember speaking to to some colleagues and into some SLPs, and they're saying like, "Oh yeah, I, I use I use Giphy, and, and that's how we teach." And I'm like, "Well, that's great. Like the the animation is so powerful, but what is the purpose of your animation?" And I would argue that YouTube and Giphy entertainment value first, mm-hmm. and that's not a purpose of animation. So. When I'm talking about anim, you know, animated symbols and that entertainment value, that's important. It's motivating. I get it. But Giphy is so fast to see turn occur, right? It's usually for it because it's funny, because you're we love watching car crashes and we love seeing people avoid those car crashes, right? We're entertained. And so everything happens so quickly. What is happening to the working memory system of the child that you're you're interacting with? How do you know that they're that they're understanding it? And obviously, you can you can confirm and continue to use Giphy if it's working. Great, but I'm a researcher, and so I want to know, well, which one's better? Right. right. So that's where I'm coming from. I'm not saying don't use Giphy. Right. Definitely use it, but you have to monitor it because the the faster the animation, um, we we call it like a, a shallow understanding that we we kind of look at it, we passively engage with the animation, and we say, oh yeah, I understand that. And But then when it comes time to actually use the word turn, can you do it? Yeah. Right, so there's a difference between, you know, that shallow understanding and then having an ALP symbol, ALP symbol here, move very slowly, multiple pushes of this, of this, uh, this ball or this rock across the screen, right? And it allows children time to process time to formulate perhaps a message and then move on from there this is part one of a two-part episode stay tuned next week for the second half of this episode and as always thank you guys so much for listening 